0: We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Turn with me to the
1: book of John as you're standing. We're going to read our text and then I'll allow you to be seated. John chapter 17. Your outline this morning says we're talking about kingdom living. It's actually three or four chapters of Scripture, John 14 through 17. Very interesting passage because... This is wedged between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. It's literally Jesus' last thoughts and last prayers for Himself and for His disciples before going through the ordeal of the crucifixion. And in these passages, we find great truths that liberate our hearts and our lives. Truths that He particularly gave at that point, free from any cloak, free from any parable, Free from any hyperbole, but speaking it clearly and plainly for His disciples to understand. So these chapters are very, very important to you and I as believers. I encourage you, read them, study them this week, and see what God is saying to you from John 14 through John 17. For our text, John 17, beginning in verse 20, I'll read through verse 23. Jesus is praying for believers, and He says, "...I do not pray for these alone." speaking of the 11. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, add your anointing, your clarity to the ministry of your word. Help us to see this morning the great truth and power that comes in unity when we choose to be one. I ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Truth wedged in between the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane. Truths that remain for a lifetime, not just for those 11 who stayed faithful to Him, but to you and I today as well. Truths that are meant and intended literally to revolutionize the way we think, the way we behave, the way we act, our priorities, and everything we engage in in this life. Notice in our text this morning three times Jesus prayed that they be one. Three times, he's asking the Father for unity among his followers. Three times, he's saying this is so vital, so important, that they understand we are all in one through you. This is a truth you need to remember. Believers do not live in isolation. Believers live in community. Christians may live in isolation, Because Christianity is a religion. But believers in Jesus Christ, who have chosen to follow Him, make Him their Lord and Savior, be identified with Him through His redemption in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who have came by way of the cross, who believe He is our Lord and Savior. Believers do not live in isolation. They live in community. We need one another is what I'm trying to tell you this morning. We need the strength, we need the wisdom, we need the counsel, we need the hope, the help that comes from one another. God did not intend you to save you and then set you out there on an island by yourself. He didn't intend for you to say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. No, He intended for you to be in community. And when we think about community, we recognize the most common form of that is right where we're at this morning. Gathered as members of the body of Christ. Believers who are following Jesus Christ. were in community. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 133 verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Verse 3 says, for it's there the Lord commands the blessing. You see, so many times we're looking for the blessings of God, yet we forget the most important thing to receiving that is living in unity following together, living in unity, and allowing God to move in and through our lives. Paul wrote it this way to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he said, Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Three times Jesus said, help them to be one. Help them to live in unity. Paul followed it up by telling us that when we forgive each other, it brings us to the place where we live in the bond of love, which brings us to unity. Can I just meddle a little bit this morning? There are far too many of us in the church world who are carrying hard feelings, bitterness, which results in anger, which results in hatred against someone or something that's happened to us at some point in the past. If you're a true born-again believer, you've got to reconcile in your mind this fact. People will hurt you, and you will hurt people. But the cross of Jesus Christ is the place where you can forgive them and ask them to forgive you. You see, it's required to live in unity that we walk in forgiveness carried out in love. Without that, we will never be or become who God has destined us to be. Kind of reminds me of the family from the city that decided they would move out west and buy a ranch and raise cattle. So they did that very thing. And the dad, he wanted to name the ranch this name. He wanted to name it the Flying J. The mom wanted to name it the Lazy Q. The oldest son wanted to name it the Flying W. The youngest son wanted to name it the Lazy Y. So when his first visitors came, they said, what did you end up naming the ranch? And the dad said, well, we named it the Flying J, the Susie Q, the Flying W, and the Lazy Y. And he said, well, where are all your cattle? None of them survived the branding. (laughs) Sometimes that's a picture of the church. We are so intent on having our way and doing it the way we desire that we have more casualties than we do converts. Come on, church, we have to learn to live in unity. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, i wanted to quote verse 19 to you, says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness that breathes out lies, and here's the one I want you to hear. One who shows discord among the brethren. Someone who intentionally disrupts the unity of Christ, God despises. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. It's not mine, it's the Word. So you need to understand that when I'm telling you the truth, your problem is not me. Your problem is with the Word of God. And I can't resolve or remedy your problem. Only Jesus Christ can do that. When you humble yourselves and admit to yourself, could be I'm wrong. Could be maybe I'm not right. You see, anytime our actions, our behaviors, our philosophies, our attitudes, our lifestyles are in contradiction to the Word of God, the only remedy is repentance. Repentance. Mark chapter 3, Jesus said it this way in verses 24 through 26, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom shall not stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house shall not be able to stand. If Satan rises up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. What's he saying? He's saying there is no power in division. There's only power in unity. There's no success in division. There's only success in unity. Now apply this to the world in which we live. Look around you today. How many things are trying to unify us in our culture? I don't know any. But there's a ton trying to divide us. Is not that true. Put us into categories. Separate us by all types of different things. Black and white. You ought to be odds against each other. You ought to be fighting because of our history. That's nonsense. Rich and poor. You ought to be at odds against one another. We need to redistribute the wealth. That's nonsense. It's all set up to divide the culture. Educated and uneducated. Think about the political correct terminology that we're now using or that is being used in our society. African-Americans, that's divisive. Think about it, Native Americans, who I am one, that's divisive. Think about it, Hispanic Americans, that's divisive. Asian Americans, that's divisive. We're now at a point where gender bending and gender blending is bringing even more division to our society. I've got news for you, God still just created male and female. Come on, he didn't mess up, and he didn't make a mistake. A house divided shall not stand. Read it in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, where he says, Two are better than one, because if one falls down, the other can help him up. Two are better than one, because if it's cold, they can keep one another warm. Two are better than one, because a cord of threefold strand is not easily broken. So when I'm talking about unity, we first recognize our culture is against unity. It's all about division. It's all about division. You're a Republican, you're a Democrat. Either way, somebody thinks you're wrong. You can say man or oh me, I don't really care, I'm gonna preach it anyway. It's all about division. You can love Trump or hate Trump, it doesn't matter. Either way, somebody thinks you're wrong. It's all about division. But we need to understand the only way to live and walk in unity is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Outside of the cross, we will constantly be at war with one another. We will constantly be involved in word games and arguments and fights and resentment because they have something I don't have or I have something they don't have or their skin color is different or their ethnicity is different. On and on we can go. The cross is the only thing that unites. Galatians 3.28, Paul wrote it this way. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Were you pictured in that scripture? Were you included in that passage? Is that to you as well as to those in the church in Galatia that Paul was writing to? Absolutely. Paul is saying the cross is common ground. Matter of fact, some theologians have called this scripture, Galatians 3.28, the Christian Magna Carta. If you don't know what that is, go read your history. It was written in 12.15 by the barons of England, to give protections against the monarchy of England in that time. Go read it. Much of our Constitution is based on this document. Paul is saying that in the church, because of the cross, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, you're all one in Jesus Christ. I believe he intentionally chose those three categories to slap the religious Jews right in the face. I want to talk about that for just a moment, how he's showing us the cross breaks every possible distinction between us, religion, race, gender, every possible distinction. Did you realize that a good Jewish man every morning would get up and pray this prayer? God, I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile. God, I thank you that you didn't make me a slave. God, I thank you that you didn't make me a woman. I'm not making this up. It's true. That was a prayer that was prayed. In every culture, in every religion, including Christianity, the tendencies is for man to build walls against man. For us to group in those who are just like us and avoid or shun those that are different from us. But I've come to tell you this morning, Christ didn't come to build walls, he came to tear them down. He didn't come to erect barriers, he came to tear them down. He came to tell every one of us in him, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, Paul wrote it this way, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. He came to destroy the barriers, the walls of hostility between mankind. Now listen, the Bible isn't saying that there's not differences between people. There certainly are differences between people. Miss Keturah, come here for just a second. Chris, come here for just a second. I want you to look at us. Miss Keturah is my good friend. Chris is my good friend. But we don't look the same, do we? We don't even come close to looking the same dude. Come here, Yvonne. Then we'll put a little white girl up here too. We just don't look the same. Yvonne is Caucasian. Chris is Hispanic. I'm Native American, Cherokee. Keturah is black. We don't look the same. But you know what? We've all been to the cross. We've all been washed in the blood. And because of that, regardless of what we look at on the outside, we are the same on the inside. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus didn't say there weren't differences in people, but rather he told us the cross destroys those differences. We may have a different skin color. We may have a different ethnicity. We may come from a different nationality. But what we need to understand is that in Christ... These differences don't make a difference. Write this down and remember, it. our differences don't define who we are. Jesus defines who we are. If there's ever a lesson that needs to be shouted from every church in the nation, it's that lesson. The only category that really matters is do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? At the cross, Jesus destroyed every man-made barrier, every wall humanity had put up, every hostility between races and sexes and nationalities, he destroyed at the cross. Three things I want you to notice very quickly. Paul said he destroyed these three things. Number one, the cross destroys racial division. I know I'm in the deep south. I know folks don't like to hear this kind of talk. But I have come to tell you, if you're a born-again, spirit-filled believer, if the Holy Ghost is living in you, there should be not an ounce of prejudice in your life. And if there is, you need to get back to the altar, ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and set you free from that stinking thinking that's followed for generations. Now listen, you can go ahead and applaud, but I'm not done yet. See, because when we hear statements like that, we automatically think about the white prejudice against the blacks, or or against the Hispanics, or against the Asians. Can I tell you that it works both ways? There are blacks who are prejudiced against whites. There are Hispanics who don't like gringos. There are Asians who have no use for someone of a Caucasian origin. I've come to tell you, it doesn't matter where you came from. What matters is where are you going. And if you've been through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're all going to the same place, which is heaven. And if we can't figure out how to get along here, God help us in heaven. You see, we say that and we laugh. Let me add one one more statement. If we can't love one another here, live in unity here, appreciate our differences here, rather than being defined by our differences here, I'm not sure there's going to be a heaven for you. Wow, that's a strong statement, preacher. Yeah, it is, but we need to hear it, and we need to live it. If I can't help someone who's a different color, or a different race, or a different ethnicity, just like I help someone who looks just like me, then I don't think I've got much Jesus in me. It's time for us to come back and allow Him to break down racial division. What did Paul say? He said, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now you need to understand the background. In Galatia, there were false teachers who were Jews, by the way, telling these believers that in order for you to be accepted by Christ, you first have to become a Jew. You have to be like us before He's going to accept you. Does that even sound familiar? Can I tell you, I can take you to churches in this town that will not accept me because I don't look like them. I can walk into houses of worship in this city who will not accept me, will not love me, because I don't look like them. Paul said, you can't make them look like you before they come to Christ. At the cross, all men are the same. He breaks down those religious racial divisions. God doesn't love you any more or any less based on your racial background. You can be a Jew, you can be a Greek, you can be a Russian, you can be a Latino, you can be an Asian, and God loves you. Or you can be like the vast majority in the United States, you can be a Heinz 57, and God loves you. We need to recognize that these distinctions are not from God, they are from the one who wants to divide, whose name is Satan. The verse also speaks to national barriers. Paul could have said, There's no Americans, Chinese, Ethiopians, Brazilians. We're all one in Christ. He said we're neither Jew nor Greek. Now, of course, we have boundaries, as we well should in every nation. Of course, we have immigration laws, as well we should in every nation. But what he's saying is your nationality does not define you. Jesus Christ defines you. For instance, I'm Cherokee. And Dutch but I can have a closer relationship to an 85 year old woman in Nigeria than I have with a Cherokee man in the United States if he doesn't know Jesus Christ because what binds us together is not nationality but it's the blood of Christ that makes us blood brothers and sisters through him we need to understand our main source of identity comes from who we are in Jesus, who we are in Him. Secondly, the cross bridges social divisions. Paul said, in Christ there's neither slave nor free. Now when you read about slaves in the New Testament, don't do it from the mindset or the historical perspective of slaves in America, because it's totally different. It's a completely different thing. In the Roman Empire, it was common practice for those they conquered, they would bring the educated the elite, the wealthy, and caused them to be slaves in those conquered nations. Historians really believe that one-third of the Roman Empire was populated by slaves. People have been taken captive out of other countries and civilizations, the elite of the elite. And in almost every other social setting in the Roman Empire, the slaves and the free never mixed. Only in the church did Paul say the slave and the free can worship together and exalt the name of the same Lord. So understand it from that perspective, not our historical perspective. We understand there were economic and social differences separating the slave and the free. And the only place where that was not so was in the church of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, Read the book of Philemon. It tells the story of an escaped slave or runaway slave. And Paul said, he has been profitable to me. And if he owes anything to you, Philemon, then counted it to my account. Paul is saying, this man who is your slave who ran away has great value and benefit to the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about slavery this morning. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not condoning it. It's evil. It's of the devil. But we need to understand when there are social divisions, they fall at the cross of Jesus Christ. They fall and there they must remain. We understand that slaves and free citizens in the early church worshiped side by side. Already said, but I'll say it again. There are places in America, even churches in America, where if you weren't of the right ethnicity, or economic and social standing, you can't enter. But the true church of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, bond or free, Jew or Greek, you are welcome in the family of God. You are welcome at the cross of Jesus Christ. The church is open to everyone, regardless of economic or social standing. That's what I love about the church of Jesus Christ. You know, you don't have to have a net worth statement to be a member here. What I love about this church is we have millionaires and unemployed people worshiping side by side. What I love about this church is that we have people who shop at Neiman Marcus and people who shop at Walmart worshiping side by side. It doesn't matter your economic status or your social class. At the cross, we are all one. Following the Civil War, the United States was very, very divided. The end of the war didn't bring unity to our nation. Divided families. Matter of fact, I had a great-grandfather fought for the South, and a great-grandfather fought for the North. Divided families. Most of you know those stories or have lived through those stories. It divided churches as well. Two months after the end of the Civil War, St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia was having a worship service. And when the priest opened the altar for communion, to anyone who would come and receive it, a stranger was the first to walk down the aisle. Not only was he a stranger, he was black. And when he came and knelt at that altar rail for communion, you could have heard a pin drop. Nobody moved in that congregation. Until after it seemed like hours, but it was only a few seconds, a man stood and walked to the front, and knelt beside him, a white man. That white man's name was Robert E. Lee. Because Robert E. Lee learned that there is no divisions, no barriers. Did he fight for the South? Sure he fought for the South. We know that. It's history. We don't deny it. By the way, stop trying to rewrite history. It happened. It's real. Learn from it. Don't rewrite it. But he allowed that congregation to see that in Jesus Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We're all the same. And he built a bridge across that mentality. And at last the cross builds bridges, divides and tears down gender division. Paul said in Christ there's neither male nor female. Now it doesn't say that there isn't a difference. It does say they're male and female. But there should be no division, no hostility between the two sexes. Genesis 1.27, the Bible says, In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. We are different. Men and women are different. Physiologically, we are different. Biologically, we are different. Our chromosomes are different. That's why, hang on to your hats. That's why gender bending and gender blending is wrong. No other way to say it? You can say amen, hallelujah, or what is that guy talking about? I don't care. Absolutely wrong. Men claiming to be women, women claiming to be men, doesn't fit the biblical pattern or the standard. Defies what God has already told us. Listen, look around you right now. There's a big hoopla because the progressives have so embraced be who you want to be. So much so that men now identifying as women are participating in women's sports and winning all the trophies, all the medals. You know what the real story is? They weren't good enough to compete against men, so they decided to compete against women so they could win. That's wrong! Wish the NCAA would take a stand on that. Women are emotionally different than men. Men are emotionally different than women. experiments in science has proven that women think with both sides of the brain while men only think with the left side of the brain. Now every woman in this place knows what I mean, but us guys, we're not even sure what that means, are we? We don't have a clue. We don't know. Maybe you've seen this list of five ways men and women are different. A man will pay $10 for a $5 item because he needs it. A woman will pay $5 for a $10 item, even though she doesn't need it, but just because it's on sale. Yeah. I'm talking to the little blonde in the front row. She has saved me so much money through the years, I can't even begin to count how much it is. You women know what I'm talking about. She had a text the other night from Magnolia that said, we have a 45% off sale for 45 minutes honoring Chip's 45th birthday. I rebuked it in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Those folks have all the money they need. They don't need any more of mine. A man has five, five items in his bathroom, a toothbrush, a razor, shaving cream, soap, and a comb. A woman has on average 328 items in her bathrooms, (laughs) most of which men cannot identify. Listen ladies, we don't know and we don't wanna know. Need to remember that. And sometimes guys, ignorance really is bliss. Women always have the last word in an argument. Anything a man adds after that is a new argument. When three men eat out and the check total is $44.97, they each throw a 20 on the table and leave. When three women eat out and the total is $44.97, they pull out the calculators. They think different. A woman knows everything about her children. She knows their dreams, their best friends, their hopes, their ambitions, their fears. Their dentist appointments. A man is vaguely aware there's some short people living in his house. (laughs) We're different. We're different because God made us different. But that doesn't mean we have to war against each other. Because at the cross, Jesus tore down those hostilities. At the cross, he made us all the same. In Orthodox Judaism, the women sat on one side, the men sat on the other. But when they came into the church of Jesus Christ, that barrier was wiped away. That division was absolved through Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful things I ever see in a a Christian church is men and women sitting together, young people beside them, children in the same row, all worshiping the same God, the same Jesus, and giving them honor and glory because that's what the cross does for us. Someone said, you're anti-women. Are you kidding me? The New Testament elevated the role of the woman. Matter of fact, think about this. The women were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. What does that tell you about the priority God places on women? The value He places on women. We've got to come to realize that there is no room for us to be fighting against one another. Matter of fact, Jesus illustrated all three of these principles. When in John chapter 4, he sat down on Jacob's well outside the city of Sychar, area of the region known as Samaria. It was about noon and a woman came to draw wet water. They typically came early in the morning, got the water for the whole day. But this woman, because she was ostracized by her community, ostracized by her lifestyle shunned by the other women. She had been married five times, and she was living with a guy who wasn't her husband at that time. Jesus sat down on the side of that well and asked her for a drink. The first thing he did, he broke that racial barrier. Because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. They were dogs. And then he talked to her about true worship. He broke that religious barrier. And then he empowered her to go back into the city... And tell the men the wonderful things she had heard from them, so much so that the whole city came to Jesus Christ. He broke all three of these barriers in that one encounter. It's time for you and I to recognize and to remember that the cross becomes the place where we're all equal. And if you and I are going to live in unity, we've got to be equal. If you and I are going to fulfill the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, 20 through 23, we've got to break down the walls. We've got to destroy the barriers. We've got to take away everything that divides us and focus on everything that unites us. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Tom, would you come back? The blood of Jesus Christ. The cross is that common ground where every one of us can come to know Him as Lord and Savior, where every one of us can receive Him, accept Him, be changed by Him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. Father, I pray today for every person in this room. I pray for those who desperately need to know and understand how much You love them. I pray for those who have been hurt, disenfranchised, turned off, By trouble in church, by difficult people, by poor leadership. I pray for those who have been offended by someone of the opposite sex. I pray for those who have been victimized and abused. I pray for those in this room this morning, Father, who need to know there's a way out of the sin they're living in of the hurt they're living in, of the disillusionment that's flooded their life. I pray for them today. And I pray that in your name, you would touch them right now. Jesus, you said, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Would you bring liberation and freedom to every person in this room today Who's bound by philosophies, by beliefs, by cultures, by religions, by ethnicity, by gender. Set them free right now. For that is your will, that is your desire, that is your
0: plan.
1: Set them free right now. Stand your feet with me across this room. If you're here this morning, I just prayed for you. God is speaking to you. You need to respond to Him. You need to allow God to do something in your heart that changes your life every day. Something that's much greater than coming to church. Something that that is much more powerful than attending a service. You need to do something, and that something is stepping out and coming to the cross. That's you. From across this room, no matter who you are or where you're at, I simply want you to come right now. God's going to meet you right here. God's going to liberate you. God's going to free you. He's going to break that chain off of your life. There's something in your life that's holding you back from being who God wants you to be. Step out and come. We're going to pray together this morning. As I wait just a moment. As I wait just a moment. Hallelujah. Yes, come on. Anyone else? You want to join these that are stepping out? Anyone else? This is the most important moment of this service. So we're not going to rush it. We're going to let God have time to do as He wills and He pleases. Anyone else? Many are coming. Many are responding. Don't let this moment pass you by. There's an old hymn that says, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. God's talking to you this morning. Step out and come. We're going to pray together. Anyone else? Wait another moment. Anyone else? Pastor Yvonne, Amy, Pastor Mike, elders and deacons, come and stand behind these. I'm going to pray over them. You're going to pray for them, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who stepped out of their seat and responded to this invitation this morning. Some need forgiveness. Some need healing. Some need yokes of bondage broken off of their life. Lord, we know you're capable and able to do each one of those things. It's not by man, by the power of the Spirit of God, it's accomplished. So now I pray that you truly, once and for all, set them free. Break addictions, break habits, break attitudes and philosophies, break behaviors and lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God. Let your forgiveness flow to these individuals and then... Help them to forgive those they need to forgive. To ask for forgiveness from those they need to ask for forgiveness from. Move in this room right now by the power and the might of a sovereign God. Accomplishing your will and accomplishing your purposes in each one of their lives. Thank you, Father, for your mighty power. Thank you for what only you can do in us. Thank you for the cross that breaks down destroys every barrier. Thank you for each one of these people who are being set free right now through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Father. We bless you. We worship you. We praise and magnify your name. There's an old course that says, Give thanks. Can you do that with me right now? When God touches our lives, our response should always be, to give thanks.
0: Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shara Road in Tallahassee, Florida